0: Father, I don't want the song to stop. When your people come together and praise your name, Savior, you're my Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know each heart in this room. Can everyone say that you are their Savior? You are the Savior of the world, Lord Jesus. Father, you have sent your Son and demonstrated your love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, is there anyone in the room here today who who maybe suspects that Jesus is the Savior, but they don't know that he is their Savior? Today, Lord God, in this room, or, or even those who are watching at home, Lord God, that you would speak into their lives, that today they would come to a place where they would turn their lives and surrender over to you, and find that mercy and hope and peace with God is found through Jesus Christ alone. Oh, we love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your most amazing and magnificent name. Amen, amen, amen. I invite you to be seated as I re- release the kids through grade four up to the classes that are ready for them. We're going to be in Mark 7 today, Mark chapter 7. As we continue in this, I love listening to them leave. I mean, that sounds bad, but that's not exactly the way I meant that to come out. But yeah, Amen. We're in Mark 7. I'm sure glad you're here today. We're going to be looking um, at the truth of the fact that morsels of mercy and sounds of hope, that's the title of our message, that there's morsels of mercy and sounds of hope. As I've thought about the message today and thinking about Jesus being focused on his mission, I have with me a, 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 a bookmark. It's from Haiti. It was made by a a young girl. Her name was Elisette. And uh, we bought this in an orphanage that we went and visited there. Karen and I went there in January of 2013. And we ministered along with several of the doctors. It was a a medical trip that we went on, which is, John, of course, why they wanted me along. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I'm a quick study, I guess, but... So we went with doctors and nurses and they were there and they were ministering to people and touching people and Karen and I went along and, and worked with Dr. Morrison on eyes and, and did eye exams, and it was so amazing as we as we met people who, who came in and, and weren't able to read or weren't able to see at a distance, and we had glasses that were donated, and people put their glasses on and the look on their face because for the first time they were able to see. And it was just so amazing to see how that could happen. We were there, and and... And we were there with a, or an organization that went out pretty regularly into different communities and, and would, would, would touch people's lives with, with medical touches. And, and in that particular country, it, you know, there, it's not a lot of medical help that's there. And so because we were there at, at a certain time, there was one, one community that was very far out that hardly ever, ever anybody was able to go to. And so we loaded up into vehicles. And... And vehicles in Haiti are not new, they are very old. And so we loaded up in vehicles and we took off and we started going across roads that make Harris Road look like a four-lane superhighway. And we'd be going four or five miles an hour and wondering what was going to happen. and, And you know, it was just, oh my goodness. And some of you have been in places like that. And as we're going farther and farther out, I'm thinking, oh man, we're gonna drive right off the edge of the world here. And and we get to this community and we pull into this compound. And word had gotten out that we were coming. And there was a huge crowd that was waiting waiting for us to come and, and be able to touch their lives in some way, bringing hope to them, because many of them never had a chance for that. They, they never expected that ever would they have anybody who would come to them and, and touch them and bring help. And so we were able to go into that community, and, and the crowd pressed against us. And And we we made our way into the building and got all of our equipment in there and people are pressing against us and of course we have to get everything set up because in order to do the task correctly, the room has to look like this because we're Americans. And and we're getting everything set and everything's pushing against us and and word gets out and the crowd just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we get in there and we're we're starting to do the help that we can. People are pushing against the door to get in. And, and so we're trying our, our best to help as many people as possible. And we didn't get to take break that day. And we just worked, worked, worked. And it got to a point and somebody came up to us and said, okay, we have to leave now. And it's like, how do you leave now? There's this huge crowd outside. There's still so many people who've come. And how do we leave now? And it was like, we have to leave Now. And so the word got out to the crowd that we were going to be leaving and it was like, no, you can't wait. We've come. When will anybody come again? This is our only chance. And and we got in our vehicles and we drove away and it's like, ugh. It gives us a glimpse into the life of Jesus as he walked on the earth. Everywhere he went, the crowds pressed against him. The crowds pressed against him because he came to earth with the hope that comes through the kingdom. The hope that comes through the kingdom of God. You'll remember right in the first part of Mark, he said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn, come into the kingdom. And so as he traveled, The crowds continued to press on him and continued to come in and and longing to be touched by him, to experience the hope that he brought. And he would leave one place and go to the next and people would be left behind or people would follow. They'd chase after him, constantly trying to to be in the presence of Jesus. And that's what we step into today in our text. We step in to, to... Jesus leaving the place where he was. Our big idea for today is that Jesus brings mercy and hope. Jesus brings mercy and hope. And it may be that you're here today and you're needing mercy or you're needing hope. And maybe you've looked for that in all sorts of different places. I want to tell you that I know that mercy and hope are found in Jesus Christ alone. The first thing we're going to see is that there is great power in even a morsel of mercy. Even a morsel of mercy contains great power. Jesus is traveling, and he's been in Galilee, and and as... um, as Pastor Tim helped us understand last week as he was here up in this area with his disciples, and then you know, the, the Pharisees are pressing in on him. And, and, and Pastor Tim helped us and taught us that, that as we're in this part of Mark, we're moving into the last year. Of Jesus' time on earth. Two years have passed already, and we're stepping into the final year of Jesus' life, and things are going to intensify pretty quickly. And Mark doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the first two years, but he spends a lot of time on the last year. And as we see, as he's preparing for this last year, he actually leaves the Jewish part of of the world at that time and he heads into this Gentile part which is up here in Phoenicia and specifically in the verses we're looking at right now he's in the city of Tyre which is right up here and so he makes his way up into Tyre and our scripture tells us Mark chapter 7 verse 24 Jesus left that place and went, that place being the place he was at last week when we looked, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered the house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, with the demon gone. Well, this is a fantastic uh, um, portion of Scripture. And we're going to see that, that there's great power in even a morsel of mercy. As we read this, and we remember that we're reading this through a, 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 a 2017 Western mindset. And it gets hard for us to understand exactly what's happening here. So let, let me help you a little bit. Jesus has gone to the city of Tyre. Now, the city of Tyre is a city that is, is well known to the Israelite nation. It is, it is a, it, they have been a godless oppressor of Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, uh, over and over again, the city of Tyre comes and oppresses the nation of Israel. The city of Tyre has a repu- reputation in the Hebrew Scriptures of being a proud city. They're, they're a proud city. And then the king of Tyre, as a matter of fact, as he's, as he's um, described in Ezekiel 27 and 28, as they describe the, the king of Tyre, the king of Tyre is so wicked and evil and prideful that it almost seems as though you're reading about Satan as you read that passage. And many people say that, that we are. And so this city of Tyre is one that has oppressed Israel. And not only that, specifically at the time of Christ, Josephus, the the first century Jewish historian, has recorded for us that the people of Tyre were the bitterest enemies of Israel. So he's stepping into a part of the world, he's left He's left uh, Israel and he's moved into a part of the world and specifically a city that the Israelite people do not care about for a lot of different reasons. And yet Jesus goes there. Now, it says that he goes there because he wanted to be alone. It doesn't tell us why he wanted his presence a secret. But what we see is that Jesus is too great to be hidden. Jesus is too great to be hidden. Listen, if you've got Jesus in your life, you cannot hide him. Oh, you may try, but you can't. A woman comes. Her daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, and she came and she fell at his feet. Fell at his feet. Have you, have you ever seen anybody do this? Have you ever seen anybody who's come and, and fell at somebody's feet asking them for something? You know, we came close in Haiti. It was almost that. It was that intense. But, but by and large, you know, you don't go into the Walmart and see somebody throwing themselves at the cashier's feet. You know, I mean, it just doesn't happen. It's, it's not happening in our world. Because we're able to take care of everything on our own, right, Tom? We don't it's all good. The last thing we do is let people know we need help. And this woman came and she fell at the feet of Jesus. Two other times in Mark this is brought out. And Pastor Gabe opened both of those times for us. With the daughter of Jairus who who was healed. He fell at, at Jesus' feet, as did the woman who touched the hem. They fell at the feet of Jesus. Understand that what this is, is this is, a, this is a position of humility. She humbled herself before Jesus. She didn't come to him pridefully. Now, this is significant because Scripture tells us that she was a Greek born in Syrian, uh, Syria, Phoenicia, so she, she was a Greek who was born there. And, and, and see, the, the people of, of Tyre, those, those people actually took a lot of the things from the Israelites, especially food and things like that. And so it was a very prosperous place. So it's very possible that this woman was extremely, extremely uh, well off, shall we say. And so for her to come and humble herself before everybody who was there and beg Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter is very significant. One person I was reading, he he said this would be like someone from the Brahmin class in India driving up in a limousine and coming to Mother Teresa for help. What kind of reception do you think that person would receive there? Well, the reception that Jesus brings to this woman... As she begs him, falls on her, falls on her face before him and begs him, he says this to her. He says, First, let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That's not the way Jesus is supposed to talk, is it, Mac? It's, it's, no. Jesus is loving and kind. He's good. He's got nice flowing hair. There's a picture of him out in the hall there. <laughs> See, that's what we're stuck with here. See, we're, we're stuck with a mindset that does not understand that we're talking about a Jewish Messiah here. We're talking about the Jewish Messiah who has stepped into the world to seek and save the lost. And he stepped into a world at a point of time In the fullness of time, we're told at just the right moment, he steps in and he speaks. And listen, the thing about it is every single word that Jesus spoke is significant. Every single word. I get lost in my words all the time. Jesus never did. Every word was carefully thought out and carefully spoken So that we can learn, so that the people who he was talking to could learn. He was on a mission. He was on a mission to seek and save the lost. And the reason he went to Tyre, we don't know, but it's for sure to make known the fact that first, first, the bread goes to the children. Now, who are the children? Well, Deuteronomy 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, makes it clear the children are the nation of Israel. That's the children. And Jesus says, first, the bread goes to the children. And you can be like, what? But this is exciting. Most of us here are probably Gentiles. And what's so exciting about Jesus saying first is that now the door is open for the Gentiles because it's going to the Jew first, but then it will go to the Gentiles. And Paul speaks of that in Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, for the Jew first and then for the Greek. And so, so we know that God through Jesus has a plan for all nations, But it goes to Israel first. And Jesus is making that clear here. And he says it's not right to take the bread that's for the children and give it to the dogs. Essentially what's happening here is he's looking at this woman who has fallen at his feet and saying that you're a dog. Sue, how would you respond to that? <sighs> yeah, and there's some, there's some truth to the fact that the word he's using isn't a mongrel. You know, the original word in, in Scripture, there's different ways that he could have said dog. One of them's mongrel, and, and he used the word that was a little puppy, but uh, surely I'm pretty certain if I go home to Karen and say, you know, you're a cute little puppy, that's not going to fly over very well either. It's still a dog. But beyond that, understand that this woman knew that the Jewish people viewed the Gentiles as dogs. In first century Jews... And clearly viewed this, the Gentiles as uncircumcised dogs. And, and Tim helped us understand the law and the oral tradition last week and, 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 and what it is that defiles. And so a Gentile was not unclean because of the law, but a Gentile was unclean because of the oral tradition. And at the time that Christ was on the earth and at the time of this writing, this woman was innately unclean. There was nothing she could do to become clean other than go through the, pos- the process of complete conversion to become a Jew. And so for her to step up and, and, and go to Jesus and fall at his feet is like unbelievable. And, and so he says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. She, she knew that as a Jewish man, it was more than likely that he viewed her as totally unworthy and not, and not worthy of even having anything from him. Matthew's account says that this woman says, have mercy on me. Mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so she knew that she did not deserve to have Jesus help her. And that's why I think this woman, for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, somebody understands the riddle of Jesus. Somebody understands what he said because he wasn't clear on this. I mean, we've, we've understood it now because we've looked at it and we're, we're 2,000 years later and we're able to see this and understand it. But this woman understood what Jesus' point was. And instead of being offended by what he said, she said this, Lord, even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Jesus is amazed. Jesus is amazed at this woman's response to what he has just said. And because of her reply, the demon left her daughter. Understand what this woman has done is an example for us. How many of you are humble? You got to be careful because if you say, I am, oh man, right? Isn't that the way that goes? You know, I don't want to say this proudly, but I'm a humble guy. You know. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So our heart and our desire is to be humble before the Lord, and, and this woman shows us something that's very significant because what she's just experienced is one of the most humility, humiliating things that you can experience. Can you imagine? She comes to Jesus, and, and she throws himself before, or herself before him, and in the presence of probably other Jewish people, he, calls, he says to her, you know, basically... I can't give you this because you know that you're considered to be a dog. The way to humility takes us through the valley of humiliation. The way to humility takes us through the valley of humiliation. And so many times we want to avoid that. We we don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to walk through places and, and seasons of humiliation, but this woman demonstrates for us that if you're willing to allow yourself to go through places of humiliation held by the hand of God, that you will experience the joy that comes from being humble before the Lord, and the morsels of mercy will fall on you. Am I content with the crumbs from the table or do I expect more? Am I content with the crumbs from the table or do I expect more? Are there teachings of Jesus that I find offensive at all? Have I ever come across the passage of scripture or something that was said to me that thought, I don't think I like that, and has that caused me to reject the teaching of Jesus and to stand up in some sort of defiance instead of staying in a position of humility? We're looking at the truth that Jesus brings mercy and hope. The first thing is that there's great power and even a morsel of mercy. The second thing is that there's hope for those who cannot hear or speak. There's hope for those who cannot hear or speak. Jesus moves from Tyre and he heads up to Sidon, our scripture is going to tell us. So he goes from Tyre up to Sidon because he's headed over here into the region of the Decapolis. Okay, and this is about 22 miles to Sidon. We don't know why he went up to Sidon. We're not told. If it was important, we would be. And so he makes his way through Gentile territory, and now he's coming back over here. Next week, we'll look at the truth that in this area of the Decapolis, he's going to feed 4,000 people, and that will be... a, a. A great teaching next week, I'm sure. And so as we look at that, but he's moving into Gentile territory. Again, as he's moving towards the culmination of his mission. And our scripture tells us in verse 31 that Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to put his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his finger into the man's ears and spit on and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. So Jesus leaves, he goes up, and then he heads down along this region, and he's in the area of Decapolis. And we looked at that once before. We looked at that in chapter 5 as Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. And he went into Decapolis. And you'll remember that it was there that he found the man who was filled with all the the demons. A legion was the name of the demons who were in him. And and there were all of these demons in him. And Jesus cast the demon out, and, and the demons went into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff and died and the people came and said to Jesus get out of here and so he got in the boat and left and the man who had been freed from the demon said let me go with you and Jesus wouldn't let him and said go away and begin to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed so we see that as Jesus goes to the Decapolis this time it's different last time when he went people told him to get out this time when he goes people are are coming and bringing people to him. One of them is this deaf man who can barely speak, and they're being brought to him. And that's significant, I believe, because what changed this entire region? Was it one man with a testimony? Was it one man who went and told people what Jesus had done for him? Because before Decapolis was closed, and now it's open. Is it possible that it's open because one man said, Jesus has done this for me. And people were amazed. And so when Jesus came back, people said, let's bring these people to him because he's got hope. And one of those was this man. And they begged Jesus to touch him, to place his hand on him. It tells us in this passage that Jesus put his fingers in his ears and spit and touched his tongue. How many of you expect to go to the doctor with a sore throat and have the doctor spit on your tongue? How many are in for that? See, I still remember when the dentist used to work in your mouth without gloves on. Do you remember that? And all the people under 30 are going, Ew. But see, we're talking about a different culture and something different. But I wonder if it really is all that different. There's healing in a touch. I know so many people who long... For a touch. Do you know there's people who never get a hug, who never get someone who caresses them, who who gives them a loving touch, just a a soft touch on the arm, a little bit of a squeeze? There's healing that comes in a touch. And specifically, as we look at the time that Christ was walking on the earth— Healing was thought to come through a touch. Now we put gloves between the touch and the person, and it's like we're safe now. Ooh. And I understand there's reasons and it needs to happen. I get that. But I think we miss something. They brought this man to Jesus and said, Would you please touch him? And so Jesus did. What do you suppose, what do you suppose it was like for, for Jesus to touch someone? The hand of, of God, Jesus, Son of God, coming and, and touching someone. What do you think that touch felt like for this man as, as Jesus took his fingers and put them in his ears and touched his tongue said Father be opened have you felt the touch of Jesus in your life oh I know I understand we can't, we can't feel that physically now But have you experienced the touch of Jesus because he longs to touch you and set you free? Our text tells us that he looked up to heaven, similar to what he did when he blessed the bread. He he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh a deep sigh. And the word that's translated deep sigh there, we find another place in Scripture. We find it in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And it says this In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us through wordless groans. Wordless groans, deep sigh, is the same word in the original language. And the word, as it literally translated, means uh, uh, "to pray inaudibly." And so there's this idea that, that Jesus places his hand on this man, touches him, and looks up to heaven and prays inaudibly to the Father. God. If Father, open the ears. And the ears are opened. Jesus interceding for this man. You think of Jesus as our interceder. In Romans chapter 8, it says that Jesus is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Hebrews 7, it says that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Job chapter 16, my intercessor is my friend. Isaiah 53, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus is before the throne of God interceding for us, offering intercessory prayer for us, as is the Spirit interceding for us with these wordless groans, these prayers that are inaudible. Friends, I want to remind you that Jesus is constantly before the throne offering these prayers and Satan is constantly before the throne accusing the brethren. I want to use this as an opportunity to remind us let's join in with Jesus. Let's not join in with Satan. We don't accuse the brethren before the throne. We intercede for the brethren before the throne. Amen? Amen carefully bringing each other before the throne. Father, may your ears be opened. Have your ears been opened to the truth? Do you understand Scripture now? Have you found that to be true? I know a dear brother here, he told me that it's amazing how much Scripture means so much more to him now. He can hear Jesus opened his ears. I know that's the case for all of us who've come to know him. So in what ways have my ears been closed and my lips sealed? Jesus brings mercy and hope. Great power, even in a morsel of mercy. There's hope for those who cannot hear and speak. But the final thing here, just real quickly, hope realized cannot be contained. Hope realized cannot be contained. I love it. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. All right, so here's the deal. He goes to this deaf person who can hardly speak, he puts his fingers in his ear, touches his tongue, and the man can speak and he says, don't say anything. Ah. So why do people have a hard time understanding Jesus? I don't know. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it, publishing it, preaching it. The more that he said, don't tell people what happened, they said, how are you kidding? There's no way we can help. People are overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well. I'm sure that he appreciated their affirmation. Okay, don't miss that. He's done everything well. Jesus has done everything well. And then, from from Isaiah, he makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. He's done amazing things. Hope realized cannot be contained. Listen, have you taken a hold of a morsel of mercy? Have Have you heard the sound of hope? It cannot be contained. it must not be contained just as, just as Karen and I had opportunity to head into Haiti and, and step into that community with mercy and hope and, and, and to display that, just as we were sent there for that, so also are we sent out every day with, with the truth of the mercy and the hope of Jesus we No, Christ, we've taken a hold of the mercy, we've taken a hold of the hope, and we do that so that we can make that hope known and that mercy known. As you begin to be overwhelmed by the hope that's come in your life, and you begin to tell people about the hope that you have, Your view of the hopeless situation in your life changes. Oh, I know. I know what it's like to be in seasons where it feels absolutely hopeless. Like there's nothing that could change the situation you're in. I've been through those in my life. And I understand that there's probably people here right now today who feel as though the situation in their life is absolutely hopeless. It's not. There is hope. And that hope comes through Christ, through Jesus. And as I focus and as I declare the hope that I have, even in the most hopeless situations, it causes me to focus on Christ. So what are the ways that I've contained the hope of Jesus in my life? How have joy robbers come into my life that keep me from declaring that hope? If you haven't pulled your notes out yet, I'd ask you to do that because there's a couple of questions that require answers. So what? Who do I know that needs to hear the truth of the mercy and hope that only Jesus can bring? Who do I know? Who do you know that needs to hear the truth of the mercy and hope that only Jesus can bring. Do you know someone? Did God just bring someone to your mind? What day this week are you going to tell that person? Uh, Is that tough? Yeah, you're like, Pastor, you're meddling. (laughs) Yes, I am. Hope realized cannot be contained. One man in the Decapolis with a testimony of what Jesus had done in his life changed a region. What could we do? What could you do? What could I do? If we were so overwhelmed with the hope and the mercy of Jesus, even if it's just a morsel, Lord God. We come before you and we repent. (laughs) Oh, God. We know that you've given us hope so that we can make your hope known, but oh, Lord, you know. Even Paul, even Paul prayed and asked people to pray that he would have boldness, and so we do the same. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a boldness. Lord, as, as I ask the question about who needs to know the hope, you know each one of our hearts and you know the name that you brought into each one of our lives. You know that, Lord. And even as we thought about which day might be possible, you knew the day. God, I pray that you'd move in our hearts. Give us a passion for the lost. Break our self-centeredness and our self-absorption, Lord. Help us see that salvation is the greatest gift, but the true greatness comes as it's passed on to others. Break us, Lord, where we need to be broken change us, Lord, where we need to be changed, overwhelm us with a sense of the call that you've placed on each of our lives. And God, again, I pray if anyone here has not taken a hold of the hope that's available through you, Lord Jesus, that today would be the day they would. We pray this in your most amazing name, amen.